Welcome to US Rail Journeys, Series 1, Episode 12, where we travel from Mount Pleasant in Iowa to the diversionary route through Wyoming on the California Zephyr. We went through Mount Pleasant just after 6pm. Mount Pleasant is a seat of the Amish community and is also home of the Iowa Wesleyan College. The California Zephyr is the only train that uses a station and last year 13,500 passengers used it. It was originally opened in 1912. I have to say that the passengers on this train are a lot livelier than on the other two trains I've been on. Maybe it's the fact that it's Monday, or maybe it's the fact that we're heading westbound, I'm not sure. But there's quite a big set of people here having a really good time. It is a beautiful evening with a gorgeous deep red sun setting in the distance. The only problem is that it's actually dead ahead, so I'm unable to take a photograph of this lovely red sun this evening. Our next stop is Otumwa best known as the home of Radar O'Reilly from the TV show MASH. The Des Moines River flows through the centre of the city and we cross it after leaving the station, which was built in 1951 and was used by 1,260 passengers last year. On our way into Otomwa, we passed a vast scrapyard. This is a crew stop, so the train will be here for five or ten minutes as the new driver or engineer as they call them in this part of the world and the conductors known as guards in Britain will be changing Osceola is the nearest Amtrak station to Des Moines, the state capital of Iowa, which is 50 miles to the north. The name Osceola was to honour a Seminole chief from Florida who in the 1830s was captured and imprisoned after accepting an invitation to meet for negotiations with the US government. The station building retains many of its original features, such as the ticket window, wooden benches and light fittings. In 2016, it was used by 1,620 passengers. Okay, I'm with three people who are travelling on the train. There's Betsy Gabriella, or as she's told me, I can call her Gabby, and Nathan, her brother, as well. I believe you're all going for a family reunion. Yes, that's correct. Actually, we're all here together on the train. So how many of your family in total are on the train? There are 12 of us, my parents, uh, our family of six, and my brother's family of four. That's fantastic. And uh, whereabouts are you going to be going? We're going out to Winter Park, Colorado. So we're going to get off the train at Denver, where we've rented a couple of minivans, and we'll drive up into the mountains for a few days. That sounds really lovely. And what did you say the actual special event is? 
my parents will have been married 50 years in December, and this was the way that they chose to celebrate, was to take us by train over to the Rockies. Have you been on trains before? Because it's unusual for Americans to use trains, I thought. Well, I have not been on a train since I was maybe, I don't know, nine or ten years old. My dad took us over to Albuquerque, New Mexico to visit my uncle by train. And you, Gabby? I haven't ever been on a long train trip before, so this is my first time. And are you enjoying it? Oh, I'm loving it. The views are beautiful. I see you're writing lots of things down. The people are intriguing here, so I'm writing down everything that I hear and see. Oh dear. (laughs) I can see I'm in trouble. What about you, Nathan? How are you finding it? I'm really enjoying it. You're drawing things, I think. Yep, I'm drawing an alley right now, like a city. If I look outside, I can't see any city at the moment. (laughs) It came from when we crossed the Mississippi River, when when we saw those older buildings. Well, I hope you have a really good family gathering. Probably it's a pity you couldn't have taken the train all the way to Winter Park, but the train's now on diversion. Yes, actually we had planned to take it through the mountains, but they're working on the roads, so yes. But it'll be fun nevertheless. Thank you very much. It is now completely dark. We pass through Creston, which was established 150 years ago by the Chicago, Burlington and Quincy Railroad. It got its name because it is on the crest of the split between the Mississippi and the Missouri River basins. The station, which opened in 1969, is unstaffed and saw 3,843 passengers in 2016. As we travel westwards, we will pass through Stanton, which was first settled by Swedish immigrants and is best known for its two water towers, with one painted and shaped like a giant coffee pot and the other like a giant coffee cup. The city of Council Bluffs was originally known as Canesville. It was transformed by the Californian Gold Rush and then renamed Council Bluffs. It was a major outfitting point on the Missouri River for the emigrant trail and had a lively steamboat trade. President Lincoln chose Council Bluffs as the eastern starting point for the Transcontinental Railway in 1862. The town of Council Bluffs has one of only three remaining examples of a rotary prison with pie-sliced shaped cells on a turntable. We cross the Iowa-Nebraska state line at the Missouri River. In 1804, Lewis and Clark set out to explore the Missouri River obtained as part of the Louisiana Purchase. They hoped to find that the Missouri would be the Northwest Passage to the Pacific. It wasn't. It's 2,341 miles, slightly longer than the Mississippi, and drains about one-sixth of the North American continent. Because of its high silk content, the river is nicknamed Big Muddy. During the night, we stop at various other places, the first of which is Omaha. Omaha has always been a major transport centre and has the nickname Gateway to the West. The eastern portion of the first transcontinental railway headed west from here in the 1850s and it has been home to the Union Pacific Railroad since the company started. Every May the town becomes Woodstock for capitalists as about 40,000 people flock to the town to hear Warren Buffett, known as the Sage of Omaha, 
speak to the annual meeting of the Berkshire Hathaway Corporation. A number of actors were either born or grew up here, including Fred Astaire, Marlon Brando, Nick Nolte and Henry Fonda. The station was built in 1989 to replace an earlier station and was used by 24,410 passengers in 2013. Dinner reservations to the dining car, 7.30 dinner reservations to the dining car. Four miles on from Omaha, we're passing the Offutt Air Force Base. From 1961 to 1990, it was the site of the country's 24-hour airborne command center called Operation Looking Glass. President George W. Bush conducted one of the first major strategy sessions in the base bunker after the attacks on September the 11th, 2001. We're now 500 miles from our start at Union Station. Just over 20% of our journey has been travelled. I'm going to go to sleep now. During the night, whilst I'm asleep, we'll pass through Lincoln, which became the capital of Nebraska when it was admitted to the Union in 1867. The station opened in 2012, replacing an earlier station. In 2013, it serviced 13,116 passengers. After Lincoln, we get to Hastings, somewhere around about 2 o'clock in the morning. Hastings was where Edwin Perkins III invented Kool-Aid in 1927 in his mother's kitchen. For those of you who have never heard of Kool-Aid, it is an American icon drink with a wide range of flavours. The station at Hastings was built in 1902 in the Spanish colonial style and was used by 5,865 passengers in 2013. About 45 minutes after Hastings, we will go through Holdridge, the first trains reached the town in 1883, with the station opening in 1910. In 2013, 2,335 passengers used the station. Around a quarter to four in the morning, we're due to be at McCook, another town created with the arrival of the railway. The current station was built in 1925, replacing another built in 1882. In 2013, 3,638 passengers used the station. When we cross the Nebraska-Colorado state line, we will be 864 miles into our journey. The state line is also the border between the central and mountain time zones, so having crossed it, our clocks go back an hour. About 5 o'clock in the morning, we arrive at Fort Morgan with 40% of the journey covered. This was the home of Glenn Miller when he was a teenager. After another 70 miles, we will pass the Rocky Mountain Arsenal National Wildlife Refuge before entering Commerce City, a northeast Denver suburb. The arsenal was where the chemical weapons were manufactured in World War II, but beginning in the 1980s, the area was cleared up and converted into a 15,000-acre sanctuary. We're roughly 40 minutes late as we're slowly coming into Denver through the suburbs. We've passed long lines of traffic queuing at every road junction. 
We arrive in Denver at breakfast time and the train is scheduled to stop for the best part of an hour for refueling and servicing at the historic Union Station originally opened in 1881 and then rebuilt in 1914. I shall be interested to see how long we actually stop for and whether we're trying to catch up on our schedule. Once the impressive station had many platforms, but today it is much reduced servicing some commuter trains and the California Zephyr. As far as our train is concerned, this is a much more significant station than many that we passed through during the night, and in 2016 it was used by 139,652 Zephyr passengers. We've now just gone into reverse, so it must be that we have to reverse into the station, or else we're on the wrong track. The city is known as the Mile High City, as the height above sea level measured at the steps of the state capitol building is 5,280 feet. Denver was first settled because gold was discovered nearby. It is located midway between the large cities of the Midwest and the West Coast and therefore has become a thriving business centre with major transport and distribution businesses. We are reversing currently, as I mentioned a moment ago, over a Y in the track. That is where the train can turn round if need be. Once we leave Denver, unfortunately on this trip, because of track work that is taking place on the normal route, we will be taking our diversion. I'm with John, who is taking an adventure across the United States, travelling, as he put it, the slow way, because everybody likes to be so fast these days. So, John, where do you live? Uh, I live in Cape Cod, in a little town called Harwichport. And uh, it's about halfway down on Cape Cod. I'm retired. And where are you going to on this trip? I'm going to Tahoe, California, which is about uh, a little over three-quarters of the way on a 2500 mile trip uh, it's in uh, we have a house in uh, Olympic Valley where uh, the Squaw Mountain is and my wife is out there already she's gone out there about two weeks ago and uh, we're out there for about a month and she took the plane and I decided to take the train just to see what middle America was like so is this the first time that you've actually traveled across middle America at ground level but better than that, I think this is the first time I've been on a train other than a subway train in a major city. So I'm really finding it quite uh, fascinating. And uh, Where did you join the train? In Boston. I started in Boston, and it was, the first leg was from, uh, I think it's called Lakeshore Express or something, from Boston to Chicago. It's an overnighter, about a little under 1,000 miles, and uh, that was my first indoctrination to train travel. And how long were you in Chicago? Uh, about four hours. Oh, that's not a bad connection time. At least gave you time to kind of turn around, find out where you were, and then get back on the train again. Correct. Well, part of what I wanted to do, I, uh, which I can't do because we, we see these grand train stations, because the United States, you know, I imagine Europe and the rest of the world, has magnificent train stations. and uh, uh, So I really didn't get a chance to see any. I did see Chicago's, which is a very grand uh, train station. As I said yesterday to the people who are going to be listening to this, Chicago featured in the film The Untouchables in the 1980s. So it's actually a lot of people have seen one of the staircases in that station. Oh, I didn't realize that. Just, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. And now we're, we're in Denver right now. We're about to go, I guess, probably the most scenic portion of the trip through the Rockies and then through the Sierras uh, out in uh, California. So I'm really looking forward to that. And, uh, and I guess there's a tunnel 
along the way on this trip called the Moffat Tunnel. It's six miles long, right through the Continental Divide. So that should be pretty interesting. You didn't receive the email which said there's a diversion. Well, I did receive the email. I didn't know we were diverted to, so I guess I'm going to miss the Moffat Tunnel. <laughs> uh, we are missing the Moffat oh. Tunnel. Apparently, we turn right out of Denver and go up to just short of Cheyenne before turning left for Laramie. Oh, that's kind of boring. <laughs> I've been up in that area. Oh, that's too bad. I don't think that they had any any um, choice in this matter. So <laughs> and it was like last week, I travelled up on the coast Starlight from uh, San Francisco up to Portland. It was wonderful, and then I was talking to some people on the Empire Builder who were meant to have been on the Coast Starlight the day after I used it, but a freight train had jumped the tracks, so they'd been bussed. Yeah, I did receive that email. I didn't quite understand what it was, and uh, well, I hope we make it through southern Utah then. I do actually have the route. I'll show you when we finish. But, okay. but anyway, it's been lovely to speak to you. you, too, you. As I suspected... Our stay in Denver is being shortened. On leaving Denver, we should have started on a 300-mile stretch of track across the Rockies and along the Colorado River. However, track maintenance work means that we're being rerouted onto the historic overland route that runs through Wyoming. Some of the sites that we will miss include the Big Ten Curve, where, because the winds are so strong in the mountains, Hopper cars filled with sand are welded to a track running alongside the track that we would normally use to act as a windbreak. We'll be missing the 31 tunnels including the 6.2 mile long Moffat Tunnel. When that tunnel was opened in 1928 it shaved 176 miles off the journey to the Pacific and eliminated a series of switchback loops and steep slopes which had been a feature of the previous track through the Rollins Pass on our way to Winter Park where there is a station that is only staffed in the winter months for passengers who are visiting for the nearby ski resort. We miss the beautiful Colorado canyons alongside the river which has many swirling rapids. We miss the recreation area of Glenwood Springs where Doc Holliday, the legendary gunslinger and part-time dentist and a participant in the gunfight at the OK Corral spent the last months of his life. We also miss the town of Helper, named because it was a depot for Helper locomotives that were needed on westbound freight trains so that they could get up to the plateau to Soldier Summit, which itself is named after Civil War soldiers buried there in 1860. Our revised route takes us north from Denver, and then we will turn west just short of Cheyenne, where we join the Union Pacific Railroad track that has not been used by a regular Amtrak service since 1997, when the Amtrak Pioneer train was discontinued. We've pulled out of the station and now we're sat basically in what would be a marshalling yard if there were more trucks here, but there are lots of locomotives. The smokers were warned before we pulled out of Denver station that they won't be able to get off the train for another 14 hours until we get to Salt Lake City because the train will be taking the diversion route without any stopping apart from one somewhere in the middle of nowhere to refuel the locomotives. When I had breakfast this morning, I was sat at what somebody termed the Brits table. There was a couple visiting with grandchildren, and they come from Romsey in Hampshire, 
and another guy who lives in Liverpool working at the School of Tropical Medicine. So it was quite an interesting reunion. Apparently it's been snowing in Wyoming, so this could be a very interesting early winter trip. Whilst we were in Denver, they came and cleaned the windows. It was quite impressive to watch because there were two people, one wiping the window down and then one drying it off, all done from ground level, and I'm on the upper deck of the train. People keep asking the question, which is the best side for the view? Well, as we seem to have been going through a, an area of Denver that is industrial, in fact, very industrial, to either side there are small factories, scrap yards, oil tanks, and now from the smell of it, something like a coking plant. <laughs> I really don't know which is the best side of the track to be because it all looks pretty similar. I'm sure that once we get out into the countryside and we start to put on a little bit of speed, we'll actually be able to tell you a bit more. We've just passed a storage depot where there are pile upon pile of new ties, as they're termed here, waiting for use. For those of us from Europe, a tie is a sleeper. Here they seem still to be exclusively, or virtually exclusively, made of wood. From Denver to Salt Lake City via a diverted route, it looks to be round about 650 miles. It's getting on for an hour since we actually pulled out of the platform at Denver, and the train has accelerated rapidly to reach 25 miles an hour. Now, 650 miles at 25 miles an hour could take some hours to travel. This podcast has been made by the Mr. T Podcast Studio. Thank you very much for listening.